1975, I was negative nine years old, and there's an NFL playoff game between the Minnesota Vikings and the Dallas Cowboys. So going into the game, there's a lot of hype about like the really great high octane offenses. But going into the fourth quarter, the game's tied seven to seven. And like any good football game, there's a little back and forth going on. The Cowboys kicked a field goal, seven ten. The Vikings scored a touchdown, fourteen ten. And there's thirty two seconds left on the clock, and the game kind of looked over. But the Cowboys kind of had one last shot, and their quarterback, Roger Staubach, threw a pass that went seemingly the entire length of the field, and it was caught by Drew Pearson, who scored a touchdown that would eventually win the game. And it's one of those epic sports moments. I mean, the crowd's going, wah, wah. I mean, the announcers don't really know what what to do. And a reporter asked Staubach, the quarterback, after the game about what he was thinking when the ball was in the air. And Staubach replied, well, I guess you call it a Hail Mary. You just throw it up and pray. And it's really referring to a, a prayer that the Catholic Church uses. And even though the term had been used before, Staubach is really wildly credited for making it a mainstream term in football. And a Hail Mary play is kind of called in times of desperation. The rationale is that you have no other option and you just have to kind of heave it up there and hope for divine intervention. And even though the, the term was, was a common one, like it just kind of took hold because I think we all kind of relate to that. You just throw it up and you hope for the best. Now, maybe you don't like football, so we're praying for you, and that, if that's the case. But why would, why would I bring something like that up? Why would I bring up a Hail Mary pass? Well, I think it, it kind of, we can relate to it. See, in our own lives, desperation drives us to pray. I mean, think about it. The times that I find myself the most driven to prayer is when things aren't going so well or when I'm desperate. We're familiar with prayers out of anguish. Like when we don't know what to do and it's our last hope and we're like, okay, God, please show up. Or about someone suffering a, a severe illness or, or broken relationships or these crisis situations in our lives. Even look at social media when there's a natural disaster. I mean, people go and they say what? They're sending their thoughts and prayers. Because we're desperate and we're not in control anymore and we don't know what to do. And when there's nothing left for us, we just kind of heave it up. We throw up a prayer. Now we're in the second week of a series we're calling How He Prays. And we're going through some of the prayers that Jesus prayed. Last week we looked at one of the most famous prayers in the Bible. We looked at the Lord's Prayer. And we talked about really how our prayers should focus on God as we depend on God. And the challenge is that our prayer life should be more about God actually than uh, about ourselves. So we find ourselves in these desperate situations and these times of trouble. We often kind of throw up a prayer and we hope for divine intervention. We hope for the best. And I don't think that that's the wrong thing to do. So today we're going to talk through a story about desperation and about prayer and what we can learn from how Jesus interacted in that and how he shows up in our desperation. So I want to warn you, at first glance, this story doesn't seem to be about prayer. It comes later. But, but I think that this story really sets up some amazing perspective on keeping our prayers focused 
on God and dependent on God. So we're going to be in John 11 the entire time. And I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible app or if you have, you know, the Ridge app, you can follow along, you know, there or the the scriptures are going to be up here on the screen as well. So this is John 11, starting in verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And this is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. So this is kind of like a Hail Martha pass a little bit. Get it? Get it? Yeah? You with me? Somebody was with me. Thank you. All right. This is a desperate thing. So they're sending word to Jesus and they're going, Jesus, we we don't know what else to do. We, We need your help. And I think that they did that because they knew that Jesus could heal them. They knew he could help. So Jesus got the message and he sent a message back to Mary and Martha. And he said, Lazarus's sickness wouldn't end in death and that God would receive glory for what's about to happen. But he didn't immediately travel there. Like he didn't get on the donkey and get in the express donkey lane or anything like that. Like he waited a little bit and he eventually started to travel to Bethany and he told his disciples that Lazarus was already dead. And when they finally arrived, they found out that Lazarus had actually been dead for four days. When things aren't going your way, when hope seems lost, when you're desperate, how do you respond? See, we get to the point, I think, sometimes we're open to anything. We'll throw up the Hail Mary prayer and, and just hope that somebody somewhere will, will catch it. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Maybe a loved one is sick, like Mary and Martha, and the doctors don't know what to do, and you cry out to God, and the, it seems so desperate, and things maybe aren't going the way that you hoped that they would go. Or you cry out to not lose the relationship, and you don't know what to do. You've put so much effort into it, and it ends anyway. Or you cry out to get out of the terrible situation you don't know why God allowed you to be in in the first place. And you're like, God, what is happening? How is this okay? Are you even here When things aren't going your way, how do you respond? Well, this is how Mary and Martha responded. Lazarus died, and Martha went out to meet Jesus on his way to their house. And this is what happened. So Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask And Jesus told her, your your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. She didn't completely understand. Like she did believe in Jesus. She did think that Jesus had the power to heal Lazarus. And she even understood that Lazarus would rise again. Really, I think what she's talking about here is at the end of the world, like in heaven type of situation here. But she didn't completely understand everything that Jesus was saying or the power that he had. But she definitely believed that he was able. And this is what happened next. So Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? I am the resurrection and the life is a bold statement. 
Jesus is claiming to have power over life and death. But I want to point out something. Jesus is claiming to have power over life and death, and he's talking to the person who just watched her brother die. And he's dead. That's confusing a little bit. And she says, I mean, I do believe you. And then he let, she lets her sister know, Mary, that Jesus was there. So Mary comes out and she basically says the same thing to Jesus. She said, if you had just been there. Man, I can relate to that statement. Can you relate to that? Jesus. If you had just shown up in the way that we asked you to show up, we wouldn't be in this mess. Jesus, if you had been here, we wouldn't have to grieve like this. Jesus, if you had been here, we wouldn't have to be full of pain. We wouldn't be have, to, have to be full of sorrow. It would make sense, but I'm confused. Jesus, if you had just shown up in the way that we hoped that you would show up, if we had just shown up in the way we asked you to show up, I've felt that way. Have you felt that way? I love how Jesus responds. I mean, Mary and Martha are upset. And Jesus sees, I think, how upset Mary and Martha are. And he sees the impact that death has on our lives today. And he asks to go see where Lazarus is buried. And then the shortest verse of the Bible, this is John eleven thirty-five, And Jesus wept. And I don't think little crocodile tears. I think he sobbed. Why? Well, Jesus cares more than you could ever imagine. I think he's impacted by the emotion of the people that he loves. I don't think it's because Lazarus is dead. Because Jesus knows what's about to happen. I think Jesus is impacted because the people he loves are in pain. So he wept because he understands and he cares. And he arrives at where Lazarus is buried. And then things get really interesting. This is John eleven thirty nine. 39. Jesus says, roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. And I love this. But Martha, the dead man's sister, in case we forgot, protested. Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. I love, love, love that practical response from Martha. She's like, uh, I mean, okay, uh, you understand what you're asking, right? Like, we're not doing that. Now, I want you to imagine for a second. I want you to imagine that you were just at the funeral of a loved one. We can probably all get there in our minds. We, we probably have had somebody in our life that, that has passed away. So you went to the funeral and you went through the ceremony and you went to the graveside and you placed a rose on the casket and you placed dirt over the casket and, and that went down into the ground and it was covered in dirt and it's been four days and you still feel numb. You still feel heartbroken and a dear friend shows up and says, hey, will you open up the casket for me? Nah. No way. You only do that if there's a reason to do that, right? So Martha says, respectfully, I think, Jesus, no, he's been dead for days. 
And Jesus responded, check this out. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? And I love this. They had so much faith that they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of those of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Did you catch the prayer? Thank you for hearing me, he says. You always do, but I said it out loud this time for the people here, so that they will believe. So that's really the big idea for today. I think prayer reminds us of what to believe. Sometimes I think we, we get, this, get this confused. We, we kind of view God like a cosmic slot machine in the sky. So we take our little prayer quarter and we punch it in and we pull the lever and ah shucks we didn't get it this time so we put in another one ah just two sevens not three that's not really how prayer works and I think Jesus is turning that on its head Jesus is saying prayer can remind us of something and show us what to believe. And here are a couple of things, I think, in this story that prayer reminds us of. So I think prayer reminds us of God's presence. Do you notice that Jesus says, you always hear me. God's not some distant, uninterested party. He didn't say, I created you, good luck, catch you on the flippity-flop. He didn't do that. God's actually intimately involved and aware of what's going on in your life, in your head, in your heart, in your desperate situations. And not only is he aware, but he is with us. He's close and he cares. There's something called a proximity effect. I was going to research in this. Have you heard that before? The proximity effect. Here's the idea. Being near someone tends to increase how much we know and understand and like them. Basically, the more you're around somebody, the more likely it is that you'll like them. We say that distance makes the heart grow fonder. Nope, not scientifically. Proximity helps us deepen relationships. And I was kind of thinking, anecdotally, I think that this is true. Have you ever been to summer camp? Have you ever gone to summer camp and you're there and like the first day you're like, I love you? And we will never be apart for the rest of our lives. I'm committed to you. I mean, you're like 12 years old, but you're like, I'm committed to you forever. And then what happens? You go home and then you're like, I'm not around you 18 hours a day anymore. Meh. And, and, and it goes away. Well, why? Well, you're not in proximity anymore. And actually, when you have like a long distance type of relationship, more effort, more intentionality has to happen because you're not in close proximity. So what, what's the point? Well, God never leaves us. He's there. He already knows. He knows our need. He knows our heart. But prayer is an opportunity for us to turn toward God and acknowledge that he is there. It's saying, God, I know that you're with me. I know that you love me. And in doing so, the proximity effect happens. The relationship is deepened. See, prayer reminds us of what to believe, including that God is 
present in our lives right now, today. Here's another thing. Prayer also reminds us of God's power. So Jesus prays, thank you for hearing me, but we didn't hear what he prayed. Well, what did he pray? Well, I think what happens next kind of shows us, it reveals God's power. This is verse 43. This is what he said. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave cloth, his face wrapped in a head cloth. And Jesus told them, well, unwrap him and let him go. So I was kind of researching, you know, like how they wrapped up people at that time when they buried them. And there are a couple of different ways they could have, you know, bound the legs separately or together. And I just have this image in my head that Lazarus like hopped out. (laughs) How awesome would that be? Like, it's absurd. They weren't planning on this to happen. And, and he comes, and a couple of verses before, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He's claiming to have power over life and death. And then he prays to God, and then a man that had been dead for four days comes back to life. And he hops out of a tomb wrapped up just like he had been when they had laid him there. I mean, prayer reminds us of who we are praying to. We're praying to the creator of the universe. We're praying to the person who has power to change things if he chooses in our lives. Prayer changes things. And there are a lot of things that prayer changes. Prayer, I think, sometimes changes our perspective from self-ish to self-less. It makes us focus maybe on other things, not just me, 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 me. Another example, do you have conflict with somebody? Have you ever like just had a bit really bad and you're like, I don't like them? I'd encourage you to pray for them. I think praying for somebody else changes your heart. God talks to you through that and you start to see them the way God sees them. Prayer changes our desires Prayer aligns us with the will of God. We're talking about this next week. But it places our focus on God rather than ourselves. And it helps us to respond to maybe the way that God prompts us rather than what we want. And God can, if he chooses, absolutely miraculously do things too. And he does. And he responds to our prayers, which also changes things. But God has power. And Prayer reminds us, I think, that we don't have that same power. He has the power over life and over death and over eternity. We don't. So we pray to the one who does. So prayer, I think, reminds us of what to believe, that God is present, that he has power. And one more, prayer reminds us of God's purpose. One of the reasons I love this story is because over and over and over again in this story, Jesus says, this is what's going to happen. At the beginning, he says, hey, this story doesn't end with Lazarus's death. And they're like, okay, okay, okay. But he gets there and they don't completely understand that. So sometimes... We get into these situations and we don't know what to do. And we're like, hey, I'm going to tell you, God, what I need, what I need. 
And Jesus says at the very beginning of the story, he says, it happened for the glory of God. That's his purpose. I was asked recently, like, how does it work when there's a lot of people praying on one side of an event, and then there are other people praying on the other side of event? Now, silly example is a, a football game. You know, the, they throw and the Hail Mary passes is up in the air and one, you know, color uniform and, and fan is, is hoping that they catch the pass. And the other, you know, fans and Taylor Swift are hoping that they don't catch the pass. <laughs> but what, how does it work? Is it whoever prays the most, whoever has the most people praying? Is it like a vote system or whoever has the best people on their side? And I think that we miss the point because really it's about God's purpose, not about what we want. So what is God's purpose? God's purpose isn't necessarily to give us everything we want, even if we want it for good reasons, by the way. God's purpose really is to bring glory. That's a weird word, and we don't always know how to understand the word. But think about glory like high honor or renown. God's hope is that we surrender our lives to him, and as we're praying to him, his glory is known. And God let Lazarus die so Jesus could bring him back to life so that people like you and me would believe that Jesus really is who he says he is, that he really is the resurrection and the life. See, prayer helps us remember God's purpose is more important than our perspective. Prayer helps us remember God's purpose is more important than our hopes or our wants. Prayer helps us remember God's purpose is the most important. Now, when I read a, a story like this, there's a temptation to go, well, that's Jesus praying, and I ain't Jesus. And you're like, oh, we know. But we look at this, and, and we, we are even in awe of God's power, and we believe these things. We believe that maybe he can help us remember you know, God's presence, and, and the prayer can help us you know, access his power, and it can help us remind ourselves of, of his purpose. But what does that look like? Like in the here and now for us today, how do we do it? And, and maybe you pray a lot, and like, like we defined it last week, prayer is simply talking with God. And maybe you're a natural and you know how to do it, or maybe you struggle. I struggle sometimes. Like I get distracted, especially when I'm trying to like sit quietly and, and pray for an extended period of time. My mind wanders and I start thinking about what I need to do, or I start looking at like the squirrel running around or, or what somebody said to me. So one of the approaches I use is I journal my prayers, literally write them down. It slows down my thinking a little bit so that I can actually, you know, focus on the words. It doesn't have to be well phrased. If you read my journal, you have no idea what I'm talking about because they're hard to understand. But they help me and they help me focus on God and they help me look back and celebrate what God has done. So I was thinking, is there a helpful, is there a practical way that we can encourage each other to pray? So we're going to use an acronym. We've actually used it before to help give structure to our prayer life and really for us to continue to focus on God rather than on ourselves. So the acronym is the word ACTS, A-C-T-S. It's also a book of the Bible. It's easy to remember and each letter stands for just a part of your prayer. So we're gonna go through that. The, the letter A stands for adoration. So you sit down, 
you know, and maybe you have a journal or you're driving and you're like, okay, this is a good time to pray or, or something. You, you start with your adoration for God. Another way of saying it is who God is. Even as we read John 11, we learned a lot about who God is. God has power over life and death. God has a purpose beyond our understanding. God is here with us right now. So there are things that you know about God, that you believe. Start there. God is the creator of the universe. God loves you more than you can comprehend. God created you. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins because he loves us that much. All of those are examples of starting prayer with a posture of adoration. Actually, what we talked about last week, the Lord's Prayer starts with adoration. His name is holy. It's set apart. May his kingdom come, not our kingdom. Allow his desires, his will to be done in our lives. Adoration is the first one. Letter C, that stands for confession. So let me remind you, we're keeping our, our, our prayer focused on who God is. So who does God say you are? Well, he says that you are a precious child of God. He also says that we fall short and we're in need of God's rescue. We're in need of a savior. We're in need of his grace. And I don't always live the way that God wants me to live. And I can say, I confess, I'm sorry, please forgive me because of who you are, not because of who I am. So starting with who God is, is a reminder of who we are. And confessing where we fall short, I think changes our posture a little bit from bless me, bless me, bless me, 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 to forgive me. So adoration, confession, here's the third one, thanksgiving. So that's simply showing gratitude to God. And a lot of us know what it is. It's really hard to do sometimes. So I'd encourage you, if this is something that's challenging to you in your life, just write one thing down a day about how God is working in your life, what he's done for you. And they can be all sorts of things from big to small. It could be, thank you for the Bible, God. Thank you for Jesus. But it could also be things that are just small and simple. And today, like, God, thank you for the breath that you give me. Thank you for the sun. Thank you for strength. Thank you for the hope that I have right now. Thank you for family. Thank you for opportunities to grow and every material possession and passion and dream. Thank you for church and friends and community. Thanking God for what he's given, I think could be an amazing reminder of who God is and also who we are without him because without him, we're in desperate need of rescue. But with him, I'm saved. So adoration, confession, thanksgiving. And the last one, surrender. So I want you to notice something. None of these stand for ask God for whatever you want. And it's not because we can't go to God with our requests. That's not the point. Matthew 7, 8 actually says, for everyone who asks, receive. For everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. But I don't think that that means for whatever we want. We can ask, and he encourages us to ask, and it's a good thing to ask. But he already knows what we need. Because he's with us. How incredible is that? We can ask, but he already knows. So we're in the process of asking God and talking with God about what's going on in your life and what you hope for and what you need. 
It's also important to remember that God is actually in control. And God is trustworthy. So we pray a prayer of surrender. We can ask not just for what we want, but for what God wants for us. See the difference? We're going to talk about that quite a bit next week. But if we really believe he loves us and wants what's best for us, our prayers can be more about who he is and who we are because of who he is and thanking him for what he has already done and asking him how he wants us to proceed. So adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and surrender. And it's just one method of kind of focusing your prayers on God. There's nothing magical about it, but if you're stuck or if if your prayers typically are self-focused rather than God-focused, I think that this can be incredibly helpful. It has been for me over and over again. Now, I don't know how you're feeling today. You might be in that space, in that Hail Mary Pass space where you are desperate and you're throwing up a prayer and you're just hoping that something happens. And I've been there and it's okay to do that. And God loves you right where you are. But I don't want you to forget something. God doesn't just love you right where you are. He is with you right where you are. He is with you right now in the middle of the pain and in the middle of the struggle. And he has the power to do something about it. And in fact, he has already done something about it by sending Jesus. See, Mary and Martha thought that the story was over, right? They thought Lazarus had died, the end, hope is gone. But God is more powerful than that. He has power over your life, he has power over your death, and he has power over your eternity. The whole story. So if you feel desperate today, he has power over that too. And he loves you, and his purpose is to help you and to bring himself glory by loving you. So right now, bring to mind whatever that desperate prayer is. The prayer that you're like, please, God, please catch it. And we're going to pray together, really, through that acronym, ACTS, to remember who God is and who God says I am and what God has done and to surrender to what God wants. So bow your head with me. I'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, you are mighty. You are powerful. You have the power to create from nothing. You have the power to know what's going on in our lives and in our heads and in our hearts, sometimes better than we know. God, you are a loving God. You are kind and you are good and you bring hope. And you love us so much that you sent Jesus. And right after this, after he raises Lazarus from the dead, it's not too long until Jesus gets on the cross and you have power over death then too. Thank you for that. And right now we confess that sometimes we think that we are more in control than you are, that we have more power than you are, that we know what's going on better than you do. I'm sorry for that. We're sorry for that. I ask for your forgiveness. Help us see you the way that you really are. You are the resurrection and the life, Jesus. And we thank you for the hope that comes from that. We thank you for all that you have done, even just breath today. 
Thank you for the way you love us through other people. Thank you for being able to have a relationship with you. And right now in this moment, we surrender. Those desperate prayers that we have, we surrender them to you. You know what they are. You know what we need. We trust you. We surrender you. We lay them at your feet and we say, thank you for who you are and thank you for the cross. And we believe, we believe that you have given us life and that you have power over death and that because of who you are, we are rescued and we are saved if we believe in you. Not because of what we've done, but because of how good you are. We surrender. And it's because of Jesus and because Jesus is the resurrection and the life that we pray today. Amen.